You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. So last Sunday we had uh, Greg and Allie Campbell come and they preached a, a lesson on our story and how our story is his story. And today I want to follow up and, and the title of today's sermon is going to be uh, Your Story is a Gift. But I want to remind all of you that we've been studying the book, Find Your Place, in order to really understand how God has created a plan for you to know your purpose and calling in life. And we're using this, this little acronym called GPS, your gifts, your passion, and your story. And I'm personally grateful for Google's GPS system. It works well, right? Uh, this week we were down in Orange County. Uh, unfortunately, the GPS system is only as good as the information you put in it. And I put the wrong information. We we're supposed to meet some friends at a restaurant. And I put the wrong information. It was the wrong restaurant. And it was like 30 miles from the one I was supposed to be at. And so as we arrived at the one we were not supposed to be at, I'm like, I was so mad. I wanted to blame everybody, but there was no one to blame but myself. The GPS was working fine. We ended up putting the right restaurant in it and showing up. A little late, but we made it. But I'm really grateful for the blessing of GPS, and I'm grateful for this plan of understanding your gifts, your passions, and your story. And today we're going to do part two on your story, about how your story is an important part. But I want to begin reminding everybody about what's going on in Ukraine. And this is a challenging time for the whole world. We have uh, multiple churches, one very large church in Kiev, Ukraine, with 1,500 members. And our dear brother and sister who used to lead the West Side Church, Andy and Tammy Fleming, are missionaries in Eastern Europe. And they were living in Ukraine when the war started. They are with their daughter and their son-in-law and their, their grandson. And if you've read their, uh, Andy's Facebook page, you've seen the information. They, they took the last several days to, to travel out of Ukraine. Uh, of course, their son-in-law, who is between the age of 18 and 60 in Ukraine, was not allowed to lead the country. because He's got to stay and defend the country and support the people. Um, and Andy wrote about how they traveled. It took them like 24 hours on a train, how missiles were flying over the train as they were going. Uh, and, and what he commented on is that, you know, they packed people together in these uh, cargo areas and these different uh, sleeping areas inside the train. And what was so inspiring was... Uh, a number of people joined into the same sleeping area as Andy and Tammy and, and their daughter uh, and their son-in-law, or and their son, grandson, rather. And what happened is, you know, it was so exciting and inspiring to hear how they immediately docked these people that are in their sleeping area as friends and help them manage their way into the country that they're, you know, going into so that they could have security and safety. And they even gave up their hotel that they had arranged ahead of time for this family to stay because there were some brothers in the church over in Hungary that had provided a place for the Flemings. And so it was just incredible how in the middle of turmoil and challenge and difficulty, opportunities arise to give and to serve. And even in our suffering, God uses it to really reveal his love to people. And he also commented just how loving in general humanity has been given the great tragedy going on. So let's continue to be praying for the issues going on in Ukraine and around the world. So the title is, Your Story is a Gift. Everything in your story is a gift. And you may not know it, but it is. 
God wants to use the good, the bad, and the ugly for a purpose that maybe you didn't get. Maybe you didn't quite understand. This week, when we were uh, having a talk with the couple that we brought in, uh, Greg and Allie, to interview for a possible staff position here, we decided to get to know one another, so we played a game called um, Two Truths and a Lie. You guys ever play that game? So when it came to my turn, I shared some, I started thinking about my, my history, what crazy things I did as like a young guy. And I, I thought of two stories, and so I, and one of them was with a friend, but I didn't really do what he did, but, but I was with him, and so I kind of told the story as if I did it, and I did the other thing. I figured that'd confuse people. So I told the story, and I'll let you guess the tr- two truths and a lie. The story was, when I was in my junior high school years, went out with my buddy, and as foolish junior high school kids, we, we were sort of pulling pranks and doing foolish things. Well, what I decided to do was throw an aquarium off of an overpass. It was broken. I found it in the, in the weeds and hit a, you know, 18-wheeler with it. We thought that'd be fun, but luckily we missed. That was crazy. Later, we decided, okay, this is the second thing. Okay, the second thing, that was my first, either that a truth or a lie, you can guess, right? Second thing is we went to an apartment complex and we stole all the air caps off every tire of all the cars in the entire parking lot. I guess we thought we could sell them, which we never did. So I told that story. Was that, is that true or not? And then the third one is that I have met uh, two, four gold medal Olympians. Uh, Jesse Owens and Carl Lewis, first two guys to win the, those four medals in the, in the U.S. Olympics. And so I, I threw that out to the, to the staff and, and Greg and Allie. I was like, hey, which one's true, which one's false? And they weren't really sure. I was really happy that Kenny couldn't figure out which one it was. And uh, I don't know why, but I just wanted to fool him. And um, what about you guys? Which one do you think is true? Which one's a lie? And this is what I did. Okay, now I've already told you that one of the things we did, it was my friend, one was me. Okay, so you have to guess. Okay, the truth is I stole the air caps and I met the Olympians, but it was my buddy who uh, threw the aquarium. I, I don't know why we were both being just pulling dumb tricks. Well, what was so funny is the next day, this friend calls me on the phone and says, hey, I'm coming to L.A. I said, you are? Okay. And he's like, hey, let's get together. I said, well, we try to figure out a time. I was like, hey, maybe you could, um, maybe you could come to church while you're out here. He's like, my wife loves coming to church and my daughter's going to be there. She'll come too. And so today I want to introduce to you guys one of my childhood friends, Mr. Ricky Ford. He's here with Valerie and Callaway, his daughter. And here's a picture of them. They're heroes. He's a lifelong buddy. That is actually before I got married. I, I, Ricky brought me out to be in his wedding with Valerie. And, um, you know, the thing about, he probably doesn't know this in my story, but Ricky's father worked with my father. Actually, he's my father's boss in, in the Air Force. And I knew him way back in the East Coast. And then, I, then he had moved to the West Coast. And when my dad got a job transfer, his father helped us, that happen. And we ended up out in Moreno Valley. But I remember back on the East Coast in the early days, uh, it was a tough time. In my story, uh, at that, that time, my mom and dad had just gotten divorced. It was a really painful time. Uh, my mom was an alcoholic. It was just a difficult experience. And he doesn't know this, but oftentimes I would call and I'd be like, when things were a little rough, you know, I wanted to go hang out at their house, at the Ford house. And, he, and, of course, his mom and dad thought that I was a good influence on him. So they were always like, yeah, yeah, Steve, you can come over anytime you want. And, um, and so I just appreciate how much of a friend and just a safe environment. And just we had so much fun in high school. And I'm sure he could tell many, many more stories as well. But it's great to have you guys. <laughs> 
Let's get into the Word of God. What do you guys say? Our stories matter. And God uses your story. I want us to begin in Genesis 47. And this is a, the context of this is Joseph has brought his family, including his father, out of the famine controlled area and into the nation of, of uh, Egypt at this time where Egypt had, had food. And Jacob, Joseph's father, who is one of the great patriarchs of the Bible, right? Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Of the sons that they're named after. Uh, and Jacob has the opportunity at the end of his life to meet the Pharaoh of Egypt. And the Pharaoh asks him, how old are you? And I love the answer. Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult. And they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my father. You see the humility? Now, he lived a long time. 130 years. But he says, my years have been few and difficult. Because he has an eternal perspective on life. He's looking at things from a, an outside perspective. And he says, yes, my years have been difficult. And as we read the news every day, there are many difficulties across our globe. And there are many difficulties if we peel back the pages of your story in your personal life. There's difficulty, there is struggle, and there is pain. And we are on a pilgrimage. We are on a journey. And we have a story. And God wants your story to bring him glory. Jacob, you know, later was given the name Israel, one who struggles with God and is overcome. And I would call on, on all of us to really think about our lives and our story as more than just having a good time week to week, but as something divinely created. You were created for more than the American dream. You were created for an eternal relationship with God. Amen? And for us to understand our full calling, to understand how our gifts fit into what God wants us to do, you got to look at your story the right way. And I want to hit two concepts today. Your success and suffering. And both are a gift. They both are the components of your story that will be utilized by God. Your successes and your Failures will be used by God. You know, successes are the fun part. You might not think about it, but all of us have successes because you're breathing air right now. You're in this room. So you're a success in that regard, right? You've got life. You are here. There's some good things in your life. It's so easy for us to not be grateful for things. But if you look back in your life and you take the time to evaluate, you're going to see all kinds of little things that are blessings. Oftentimes, we simply forget those little things, and it's, it's so easy for us to focus on the hard things. But God wants us to focus a little bit on the successes. I believe the successes God uses quite powerfully. Let's read this passage, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Many of you are familiar with it. It's sort of the first call of a disciple of Jesus. It's the call of Abram, who later becomes Abraham. We'll read. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, 
Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Don't we oftentimes want that? Let's just be real. We do. It's a part of our nature. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. What a call. Leave your comfort zone. Leave what you know. Go to a place that I will send you. I put before you today the most successful thing that you can possibly do is be faithful to God. Success is not the size of your bank account or how fast your car drives. Or how beautiful your wife is or handsome your husband is. Or how high your GPA is. Success is faithfulness to God. And God will use small successes and turn them into more and more faithfulness. God speaks to us. And he spoke to Abram right here. He's, I don't know if it's audibly, maybe he spoke out loud, right? Abram, maybe it was in his mind, I don't know. But I do know God spoke. And I believe he's speaking to you, every one of you in here. He speaks to us in various ways, often through other people, circumstances. Sometimes when you just quiet your mind, he speaks. And he's calling us to leave comfort for something greater, an eternal Reality. Jacob understood that. His father, right, his grandfather was Abram. And he was the first to take this call. I will bless you and you will be a blessing to people. Think about the successes in your life. And recognize that God allows those little successes to how to give you and allow you to have faith. For obedience to him. I believe that with all my heart. You can turn it into that. And I think a little bit about my own life. Um, quite a few things happened. I, I did a spiritual formation uh, project where you have to write down your, your history, uh, both the good and the bad. It was also part of this process of understanding your story. It's something you should all do. Do a little autobiography and make little highlights of the good things that have happened and the painful things that, I, that have happened. And try to see God in them. And as I did that, one idea popped into my mind. It was when I was in eighth grade, okay, in the middle of all the shenanigans I was doing. I was doing some other things, too. I was on the track team in my junior high school. And I remember at this one track meet, I was like one of the top runners in the sprints, and I was competing, and it was the championship meet. And at that meet, uh, one of the other top guys, he had beat me during the year, and in the final race uh, of, of, like, it was back at that time, it was a 100-yard dash. These days, 100 meter back then was 100 yards. And uh, he won by just a little bit. I was disappointed in that. But later in the meet, as many of you track people may or may not know, but there's an event where you run the one lap, the 400-meter relay. And his team and my team were the top two teams. 
And he got the baton right in front of me. Now, he had beat me in the head-up race. And I remember thinking, oh, what am I going to do? How can I do this? Can I beat him? I haven't beat him during the year. I didn't beat him in the last race. And I got the baton like, you know, four feet behind him. He was right in front of me. And we had, we had you know, the last leg for the championship of this race. And it was the last race of the whole, of the whole meet, actually. And I remember when I got the baton, in the back of my mind, I heard a voice. And, I, and, I, and it, was, it was an audible voice. My dad was at this track meet. Yeah, it wasn't just God saying, you can do it. My dad, I heard him scream. He goes, Steve, you can do it. And I don't know, but that helped. And I started reeling this guy in, little by little. I was like, well, I'm catching him. I'm catching him. I hadn't beat him in the... And by, like, one foot before the line, I just leaned forward and I beat him by, like, an inch. And we won. But I'll never forget, in the back of my mind, Steve, you can do it. As a young guy, as a junior high school guy. I believe God allowed that. I mean, I'm super grateful for my dad's encouragement. My father was always very, very encouraging. And that helped. It built confidence in me. You know, I'm a minister now. You know, I'm overseeing a church. And you face many, many trials and difficulties running a church. And we can all say over the pandemic, I don't even know, but there's a huge statistic on the number of ministers who have simply quit in the past two years. It's staggering, guys. It's staggering across all denominations. But that little voice in the back of my head says, you can do it. And the West Side, I think we've come through in an incredible, beautiful way, the pandemic. Um, We're still going through it. But I believe... Because God put some extra encouragement in my heart. I use that today. That spirit. My dad was not a man of faith. But he was a man of encouragement. And that's a success. And I'm like, I'm going to hold on to that that encouragement. And I I try to pass that on. Most people probably say, okay. I tend to tell people, you can do it, man. And I give you a lot of things to do. If you know me well enough, I'm always like, I got this plan. Why don't you start this? And they're like, I can't do all that. You can do it, right? You can do it. You got to try this. I had another plan. I, I have all these ideas. And we studied about sort of what our what type of gift sets we have. And mine was an apostolic gift set where I'm always wanting to start new things. It's hard to create them and follow through them. I need more gift sets to help us out with all those, right? But that was a success. It was a little message of encouragement that I really value. I want you to think about your own life. Did you have a message of encouragement or have you forgotten Maybe you got to recognize, sometimes it's a teacher. Sometimes it's somebody that didn't even know they encouraged you, but it was so encouraging. Those are little gifts from God designed to motivate, encourage, and enable you to be faithful at the right time for God. Our successes are part of our story. Don't neglect those. In Romans chapter 1, the writer of Romans, Paul, is talking about what causes the downfall of humanity. One of the main downfalls of humanity is we do not give thanks to God. Ingratitude is the stepping stone to the failure of society. God is good. Remember your successes. Look for them. Think about them. Reflect on them. Hold on to them. Do not let all the suffering and failure define your life. Amen? Let's talk about our suffering a little bit here. That's another big part of our life is suffering. 
Certainly we do know what's going on in Ukraine is great suffering. So why? Why is this going on? Why do these things happen? Carrie and I were watching The Chosen recently. Great rendition of the, the gospel account. Love that, that, that TV series if you haven't seen it. Uh, love the Jesus in there. Awesome stuff. If you haven't binge watched that, that's a good one to binge watch as opposed to many other Netflix stuff or whatever stuff we could binge watch, okay? But we were watching that. And, you know, we see a lot of evil. They depict the pain of, of the demon-possessed woman, Mary Magdalene. And as we watched it, what, you know, I was so inspired when, when Jesus healed her. But Carrie was, she was hurting. She was like, ah, oh, I like that he healed her, but why does there have to be so much evil? Why did she have to go through the stuff she went through? And they, they give you a little inkling of the kind of pain and suffering that she had to endure that, that created part, part of the problem. And we talked about it, and we realized this, this is the, the challenge of suffering, the challenge of pain, the challenge of evil. Can we see good in the middle of suffering? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think, is the answer to this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we, you see that right there? So that, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is the answer to suffering. Does that mean all our suffering goes away? No. But when we turn our eyes towards the cross, towards what Jesus did, towards the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, when we comprehend that and see that, a comfort can fill our souls. Not to mention the Holy Spirit works in the the lives of people, right, who then physically comfort others, right? We get comforted by people, we get comforted by his word, like words, verses like this. We get comforted through the Holy Spirit, just open our mind to a new perspective on how to see difficulty. We get comforted. We suffer, and then we get comforted so that we can comfort others. You suffer. All of us must suffer. It's for a reason. It's to bring the divine nature of God into the present in people's lives. If all we had were all the successes all the time, I'll be honest, I had a lot, I was going through my journal, I had a lot of successes. I, I felt really good about myself. I was writing all this stuff down. I thought, I have all these things. Well, here's one of my biggest things. My, one of my sins can be arrogance or pride, right? If you, if you succeed a lot or you see things going well or, you, or you're getting a lot of awards or things seem to be working out all the time, you get arrogant and prideful and out of touch with people. You got to hit some walls. You got to hit a few walls in life. Here's a picture of my mom with Carrie. at Helga Lounsbury. You know, I did have a lot of successes growing up. A lot of things. I, I you know, I just enjoyed. I got to win that race, and I won a lot of races, and I was a good student, and things worked out really well for me. I'm very, very grateful. But God allowed there, me to have a lot of pain as well. My mom 
born in Germany. My dad met her in Germany uh, in 1961. He married her. And uh, they subsequently had a miscarriage of their first child, who was born exactly five years before I was born, same day. But he, he died at birth. Actually, it wasn't a miscarriage. He died at birth, my, my brother. Um, and uh, then later, my mom had my, my bro- older brother, uh, Ishmael now, but his name is Tom, but he goes by Ishmael. He, he was born uh, in 1963 in France. And then they came to America. And um, my mom, oh, and by the way, my, my older sister, my mom had given birth to her in Germany. She's German. Uh, and, and the U.S. serviceman who, you know, was her father had left my mom. So my mom was this young mom. And back in Germany in those days, if you had a child and you weren't married, you, you couldn't even live with your child. You had to leave them in like a, um, a foster home or in a, a hospital. And then my mom would go visit. And that's how my dad met my mom. My mom had been abused quite severely. Uh, she was, you know, her father died in World War II. And she was very abused. And what happened is, when I came on the scene, born in 1967, my mom by that time had become an alcoholic or had, was getting into that. And most of my whole life, she was an alcoholic. And my dad, although a great father, a, you know, loving man, didn't, wasn't a man of faith and did not know how to handle that situation. It was very, very challenging. They divorced when I was 12 years old. And uh, there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of pain. I mean, I saw some terrible things. If you've been had an alcoholic mom or dad or a drug addict mom and dad, it's very, very terrible. One time I came home and every dish in our entire house was smashed on the, on the kitchen floor because my mom had so much pain that she didn't know what to do with her pain. And she was just raging. She was drinking to, to mask her pain. She was smashing things. She was just hurting so much. And we, we, didn't, we weren't really a family of faith. We didn't know the answers. Although my grandparents would pray for her, they, they didn't know what to do. And she needed some help. It was challenging. You know, over time, uh, she, uh, you know, I went on with my life, but she remained an alcoholic. It was a very tragic story. I can tell more stories about it. But one of the hardest things that happened was in 2004, I got a call on New Year's Eve that a fire had broken out in my mom's apartment. And she had lived by herself. She was still on the East Coast at this time, living by herself. And she had fallen asleep on New Year's Eve, smoking likely, and lit the apartment on fire. And it burned her so severely, she didn't wake up. It burned her face, it burned her hands, it burned part of her fingers off, and she was in a coma for three months. She finally, they thought she was going to die. She woke up, and I was there in the hospital the day she woke up, and, and uh, it was just devastating for her. Um, I moved her out to California that year, and out in Rancho Cucamonga, where we were leading the church out there, and, and Carrie and I and our family, we took care of her uh, for about five years. And here's a picture of her after the fire. With Kyle and Caitlin, you know, a lot, very young, years ago. That's my mom. The sad and tragic reality is she, um, you know, she never, she never stopped. <laughs> she started smoking again and she started drinking again. And, and the doctors had prescribed her so many narcotics to deal with the pain of the burns that she, um, she was addicted to drugs her whole life. And she died, uh, in 2009 of lung cancer. So there's tragedy in life. There's great tragedy. You know, I, I remember when I became a disciple of Jesus, I just was, I thought, I thought, here's the answer for my mom. I thought, miracles are possible. Doesn't always end up that way. Now I will say this. She came out and all the, the, the church ladies in the Inland Empire Church studied the Bible with her. And they gave her all they could. But... Did she believe in Jesus? Absolutely. Was she a faithful disciple of Jesus? 
She was addicted to drugs. I just said, I'll leave this in God's hands. I leave her soul in God's hands who I know is good. But it's a tragic story. Her whole life is tragic. I could write a, a book of tragedy. But I look at that and I go, God, why? Because our suffering. It gives us the capacity to love. We all go through suffering. I went through it. We all have our war stories. But don't sweep your war stories under the carpet. You know, how, how can I walk around arrogant and prideful about successes when I know there's tragedy and hardship and pain and things that are unexplainable in life? And as much as you pray, they don't always go the way you want. But you've got to be faithful to God through everything. I'm super grateful for the experience. It's taught me so much. I'm going to close out today with a final story. In this picture, we have our old Inland Empire uh, staff, the church care and I led before we came here. And in the middle, there's a couple. The couple is Rudy and Maria Navarrete. And the reason I'm sharing this about our failure and our overcoming failure is Rudy and Maria used to be ministers in our church, and then um, uh, they were small group leaders in the church out there in the Inland Empire. But after a while, uh, Rudy got bitter, and he lost his faith. He got bit embittered by a few things that occurred. He didn't reconcile those things. He didn't talk about them. He took small steps, uh, sinful steps of, of flirting with, with some women that he, he was uh, working with. And he ended up crossing lines and he ended up giving up his faith completely and saying, I'm an atheist. And then Rudy subsequently was unfaithful to his wife and hid it for years, for many, many years. But Maria was really faithful through it all. She was our church administrator and she was fighting and she believed and she's like, God, you can do miracles. And I remember one time and I, I would work out with Rudy in the morning. Uh, like at 5.30 in the morning, the only way I could get hangout time with him was just to work out with him. He would meet me for a 5.30 a.m. workout. So I was like, fine. And I would try to read a scripture. And he would yell at me if I read a scripture to him. But I kept at it. And, of course, Maria kept reading, and they, they, a lot of other people were working. Well, one time, he calls, and he just said, and he, he talked to our other minister, and he talked to me, and he says, I need a change. I, I think I might die. And what had happened is he thought he'd, he'd gotten a, a, a disease that would kill him. He was so fearful, and I think what it was is he didn't actually have anything. He thought he did. Because I think the Holy Spirit was working in the guilt and the shame and what he's feeling. And and, and eventually he broke. He totally broke and says, and just coughed up everything he'd ever done. Came totally clean with all the, the ministers in the church, with all his friends, with his wife. And I remember spending time with him and studying the Bible with him and saying, you know, right now, I know you've been through seven years of of living a double life, but right now you're the most spiritual person, I think, in this entire city because you're completely broken and honest about the stuff you've been through. He came clean with everything with his wife, and they struggled for a good solid year getting tons of counseling, working through things. But he was so humble about it. He was so willing to, to just, he was just, he knew that she had every right to end the marriage if she wanted to. He knew, he was like, whatever you need to do, I will do. You know, after a, you know, a year of this kind of counseling and training, they got stronger. Her, she, she developed this incredible forgiveness, which is equally an incredible gift just for her to be able to forgive. And he was so broken and so real and so changed that as they got stronger and stronger, they said, Steve, can we serve 
We want to serve the church. I said, okay. We want to lead a, a marriage enrichment ministry. We want to help every marriage in this church. And they took over a whole group of other married couples that have been around a long time and began to plan events for the church. Remarkable. Incredible. They hosted events. Rudy and Maria, to this day, are tremendous leaders, fully healed, fully forgiven, using their pain in a powerful way in our Inland Empire ministry. Amen? God uses our successes and our suffering. And I want to close out today, before we take communion, with this thought. This is a story when Jesus, after his resurrection, he runs into two men on their way to the city of Emmaus. And they don't recognize who he is. And it, it, that's kind of a mesmerizing concept, that they knew him originally, but then how, somehow after his resurrection, he wasn't recognized. But we get to the end of the passage here, and Luke, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. you got to bring your blessings and your brokenness to the cross, to Jesus. And he can turn it into something. So you will, your eyes will open and you will see why God really made you. You have a purpose in this world. It's far greater than things that you probably have understood up to now. He intends something fantastic. That is why the Son of God died for you. Their eyes were opened. Next week, church, we're going to have what's known as a gift fair for the church. It's going to be a time when after church, we have all the ministries in our church surrounding the room. And you can go and talk to the different ministry groups and ministry leaders and say, hey, this might fit my gifts, passion, and story. I want to help serve in this way as well. So I want you to prepare for that next week. That's what we're going to do after church. We're going to have a little appetizers. We're going to have just a great time. And we're going to have these tables and all the ministry leaders are going to be here. And we're going to fill the room and have a great time helping us actually use and connect our gifts to work that will change the world. Amen? We're going to go into our communion right now. And I know I shared some heavy stuff intentionally today to really get you to take a look at some of your own heavy stuff. And what we do as a church, before we take the, the bread and the fruit of the vine to remind us, we like to have a discussion because communion... It's supposed to be communal. It's not just a private thing. It's us connecting together with the greater body of Christ, understanding Jesus did this for us all. So right now, I'm going to want you to just five minutes, talk to the people right next to you, two to four people in front, behind, or just right next, and answer this question, how can your success or suffering be a gift? And bring it to the cross, understanding through what he did, it is a gift. Amen? Let's take five minutes to have a discussion. All right, we can bring it back in. You can close out your discussions. I'm going to say a prayer for the communion. All right, if you guys can all please bow your heads with me, and I'm going to say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are humbled to, to be here in your presence, to be in each other's presence, to have the Holy Spirit, God. Uh, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for your guidance. Uh, we're grateful for the ways that you've blessed us with small successes, um, maybe w big world successes, God. But you use that all to really build up our faith 
and to bring us closer to you and to open our eyes to see the ways that you are calling us constantly. God, thank you for the ways that you uh, see our needs and you never leave us. God, you're constantly faithful and you always um, have a purpose in the midst of suffering. There is always something that you're doing and it's a matter of us opening our eyes and humbling ourselves and seeing what you're doing through the suffering. God, we're grateful for the purpose, for the mission, and uh, for being so loved by you, being loved by Jesus, that he died on the cross. And that is the reason we have forgiveness, we have freedom and salvation. It is because of his willingness to persevere through the suffering and to see success as being faithful and obedient to you. God, we're so grateful that we get to participate in communion, to be in communion with you, to be reconciled to you, God. I pray for this time that we can really connect to you and lift our hearts to you. We love you, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.